Washed Up Emo sponsors New Belgium Brewing are celebrating their 30th anniversary as a company. To celebrate, they're releasing Wild Ride Amber IPA, a happy tribute to their iconic fat tire. Even better, New Belgium Brewing are giving away bikes and gear all year. Find out more information by visiting newbelgium.com. Do you ever wonder if your favorite band is emo? Tired of being in the same conversation with friends? Not knowing if you're listening to post-hardcore, screamo, emo revival, emo emo violence, even ska. We're We're here here to to help. help. The Emo Council is here staffed and ready for any question you may have. Hey, Emo Council, just wondering if Green Day was considered an emo band. Thanks. Green Day is not an emo band. Okay. From the creators of Washed Up Emo, isthisbandemo.com offers the definitive answer to the only important question of your day. Hey, is this been emo? This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Washed Up Emo Podcast. I'm Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com and thank you for listening to episode 92. In this episode, we welcome producer, musician, and donut friend owner, Mark Trombino. Mark has had a huge impact on the independent scene, not just from drumming for Drive Like Jehu, but for being a producer, mixer, engineer on some of the most important records of emo. From Boilermaker, Garden Variety, Knapsack, No Knife, Rocket from the Crypt, Mineral, The Jealous Sound, Finch, Starting Line, Weston, Motion City Soundtrack, Pinback, All Time Low, just to name a few. And of course, you can't forget his work with Blink-182, and Jimmy Eat World. We discussed growing up in Orange County, California, his time in college learning how to record, plus insight into many of the albums he was part of and how his talents had to evolve as the emo boom hit in the mid-2000s. I also asked extensively about working with Jimmy Eat World and learned why Goodbye Sky Harbor was 16 minutes. And we talk about Donut Friend. He explains how he started the shop, the donut puns, and the time Ian from Fugazi came to the shop. Remember, if you find yourself in Highland Park, Los Angeles, stop on over to Donut Friend to say hi. Have a Jimmy Eat, Swirl, Fudge Gazi, or Drive Like Jelly. My personal favorite, Jets to Basil. And if you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to our Patreon page, buy some merch over our Threadless store, or leave a review on iTunes. As always, thank you for listening and reach out anytime to me at admin at washedupemo.com. This is episode 92 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Mark Trombino. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on the podcast. One of the most uh, requested people that I've had, other than brand new, um, but that's just normal. Um, <laughs> oh, but amazing. I, what you know, what what attracted you to music? What, what what things were sort of first people handing you a tape or a cassette or a vinyl or what what was it? Um, I think it's probably similar to everyone's like musical origin story or whatever. You know, like I I was. You know, I found out about music from the older kids in my neighborhood kind of thing, you know. Um, I was into, you know, like whatever, like, you know, uh, just regular classic-y, rocky kind of things when I was a kid. But, um, you know, like in high school, you know, all the older kids were listening to punk rock, and that's how I got turned on to it. Um what did you, what did, what was it, was it just because it was being a rebel or what, what part of it got you excited that, you know, you weren't into pop music. Um, I mean, you were going that way to punk. 
it was just, I think, because the older kids were into it. To be yeah. honest, like, it was just, I was an impressionable <laughs> freshman in high school, and, you know, like, the cool kids, the people that I thought were cool anyway, they probably actually weren't. They were probably the biggest nerds in, in school or whatever, but uh, the people I looked up to were into into punk rock, and so I, I just followed followed right along. I mean, obviously, like, it, it, it had an energy and an excitement to it, and there was the sort of, like... Uh, outsidery, um, you know, uh, not doing something that different from everybody else, you know, not out of outside of the mainstream that attracted me. Um, but at that time when you were listening to music and getting into bands, were you listening to them, you know, like you would have maybe years later as a, as a producer, were you listening that way or was it more of, um, this is loud and fast and I like that. The latter It's definitely more about just the energy and the loud and the fastness and the faster, the better, the louder, the better kind of thing. Um, the producing thing kind of, in a lot of ways, at least for a while, while I was really into it, kind of ruined my appreciation, or at least took me away from being able to appreciate music in that same way. Um, but when I first got into it, yeah, it was, you know, I could listen to the entire band as opposed to focusing, you know, micro listening into like smaller elements or whatever. Um, what were some of the first bands that you were into? I bet kiss was probably one. Oh yeah. I was into definitely the kiss. Um, <laughs> for sure. I had, uh, in fact, kiss is what got me, you know, playing drums because when I was a kid, all our neighborhood, the neighborhood kids all had like, we had an air band, you know, we'd get together in one, someone's garage and I'd play drums, air drums or whatever. And other kids would play guitar and all that. And we always, you know, talked about having a band one day. Um, and I actually followed through and learned how to play drums. And that, so that's, that's how I became a drummer. But like when it was the punk rock stuff, it was like stuff like circle jerks or wasted youth or fear, you know, like black flag and like all that, like early, you know, uh, hardcore stuff. And then, you know, playing in your first bands, um, what was, what were some of the feelings, uh, or just sort of like, was it just, I'm going to be in a band on the weekend and, and, and play, um, or did you, you know, did you have huge aspirations or was it, this is just fun? Not definitely not huge aspirations. Um, I don't think anybody, at least at that time that was like into punk rock and playing, being in a punk rock band had any dream of, you know, making it big one day. Um, it was strictly about, you know, it would be rad to play house party someday, you know, or, uh, that kind of thing. Like it would be cool to like be in Flipside or be in maximum rock and roll. That would be, that would, that's a goal. Um, <laughs> stuff like that, you know, um, uh, very, very small, um, expectations or whatever. Um, this was just about fun. Like, you know, it was all like my high school friends. Um, and you know, we practiced as much as we could, you know, and, and we did start to do shows and stuff. And, um, but yeah, it was all like house parties and, and tiny, tiny, tiny clubs. I think too, the, the, the moment when you sort of think about those things, you make a weird decision or you're making it for the wrong reason. Like you kind of have to go from your heart for a while um, and make those mistakes. Um, Cause if it's just like, if there's like the one business guy in the band, it's like, he's already got, you know, merch before the first show. 
um, you yeah. know, or he's selling it at the practice space. Like that's it's a little early. <laughs> I I think that like I don't know like my experience was I was shocked like later on when I was working with bands how um, more they thought about that kind of stuff like the business side of being in a band you know even having merch and and was like crazy you know like I I my experience in my first bands was it was all like so like innocent and and so like um almost unaware of like the of, of how to monetize what we were doing um it was weird yeah yeah i i, I we didn't I, we didn't, yeah yeah i know i was saying that that's funny you say that because there's a lot of you know for a certain era there i think there was some of these sort of limitations like you needed someone with a four track it wasn't like now mm-hmm. with a laptop or there was a lot of merch companies and you could have different ways of doing it. You didn't, it wasn't like you had to go look in a phone book or you had to know mm-hmm. somebody um, or your buddy at Kinko's, uh, all those sorts of little layers that, um, you know, it seems, but I'm sure as it gets easier, there's more noise, there's more people doing the same thing. So you have to get better and better. Um, it seems to kind of push people, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. Like back then it was just like, we're playing a show. No, we don't have any merch. <laughs> <laughs> we barely yeah. we, no. we we barely had two cars to get here <laughs> yeah yeah it was it, you know all, i think back then all the networks that you know were being developed and i mean there's definitely it was definitely starting i mean that was probably the start of all of all of it was during those times um but it was at the very very beginning so yeah like i didn't you know we didn't know who to go to for anything you know we're in orange county um there's definitely lots of bands doing things, but, um, you know, it was like, it still felt like, you know, like when we, when we wanted to like record a, a, a demo, like we literally looked in the phone book, you know, and like, Oh, like what, you know, like look for a recording studio in the, in the phone book. And, you know, nowadays that would, that's ridiculous. Well, I mean, even you wouldn't even like Google's like, Oh, I don't know where to go to record. I'll just like, you know, Google it, you know, you wouldn't do that. You'd go to where your friends' bands have gone or, or, you know, where recordings have been made that you like, you know, but back then it was like, you know, I had no idea where to go. I didn't know where records were made. I didn't know anything. So and I've mentioned this yeah. a lot on the podcast, but I love the waiting, you know, you'd put money in an envelope and you'd send it out and you waited. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Not this like instant, which I love now. Oh, I love it. You know, you've got a song you want to share. Yeah. You're sending it in seconds to me. We're we're good to go. But that waiting, um, I don't think I'll ever get. Or that even like, back. yeah, or even the the uh, the waiting in a different way, like getting on your bike and riding your bike to Zed Records or whatever in Long Beach. You know, it's like a huge bike ride or whatever. But you know, at the end of it, you get to go and you can talk to somebody who knows about records and and get turned on to something you had no idea about. You know, that that I miss. I miss that kind of a lot with drive like jehu you know obviously that came out of relationships from night soil man and kind of putting that together um what i always laughed about or i didn't i didn't realize was you know you guys were sort of to me it was math rock to me and i know everything's genre and you know however anyone wants to do it but that's what happens but uh it's funny how many you know bands you know, sort of said emo or got into music. And it was like, that's a record you had to get. That's what someone told me. They're like, you have to get the drive like Jehu record. If you're into all those math rock bands, 
Um, uh-huh. I just thought it was interesting. Did you guys ever think about, or you know, go, why did we get lumped into that, or were you like, God damn it, <laughs> you know, I can't. Um, like, why did we get lumped into like math rock or whatever? Yeah, and then people, you know, attributing emo to it, and it was sort of like a, a record that you get as you, you know, learn about the genre. Did you think about that at mm. all, or was it? Um, no. Not really, because I think I think a lot of that maybe happened after we were even active as a band, right? You're like, probably right. Um, yeah. So, like, I was already in another kind of world when when all that was, uh, you know, the, when Drive Up Jehu was was active. You know, very few people gave a shit. I think it was it was more later on. Um, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this, like the same thing. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, there's a bunch of those bands that sort of, you know, they had a couple records and then it just sort of grows. The American mm-hmm. Football record when it came out in '99, mm-hmm. no one gave a shit. Like they, mm-hmm. a couple people did, couple, and then it was kind of okay. But to have this sort of people sharing it, people talking about it, and then that kind of leads me to like, you know, those those reunions. It must have been like, okay, you want us to play again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then you kind of had a yeah. little, you had a little redemption from having all these people talk about you forever. Yeah, it was, it was incredible. Like we, you know, when, the, when we were doing shows before, you know, we were playing to playing small clubs, you know, um, and they were, you know, we'd sell out small clubs or whatever. And it was great. And like, it, to me that at the time that was like it, you know, it was amazing. Um, but like the shows that we did, you know, a few years ago was like, so like exponentially so many more people. It's crazy that to think that like, um, that many people give a shit 20 years later. It's, it was, it was nuts. It was awesome. Um, but just, yeah, mind blowing. What I liked was the age groups. Like I had, you know, I follow a lot of people that are, you know, if it's on social media or just friends lighting me up, it just seemed like there was this level, this group of, you know, the, the 40-year-olds, the 30-year-olds, the 20-year-olds, it was almost like it had been passed down, which is what you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, that was that was really cool, too. Like, I remember um, uh, Donut Friend was, was at FYF, like, the, before we started doing shows. But, like, I think, I think they'd have been announced or something at that point. And I remember, like, talking with some kids that were just at FYF, whatever, and they were, like you know, early twenties, maybe younger. I don't know, but they were like, just so stoked on getting a seat drive with Jay. And I'm like, that's incredible. That's amazing. You know, like I was so happy that, 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 that people had passed it along or pass it down or whatever. And that, and that it did still seem interesting to, to uh, a younger generation. I mean, I think it's really rare, Mark. I think to have a record like that, I mean, to have a recognizable cover like that and have people, you know, gravitate to it and have that be one of those ones you say, Oh, you're into this. Get this. This is where, if, if you really want to know what's up <laughs> yeah. when you were in school and I think I had read, you know, sort of you, um, were going there, um, and you sort of took it on your own to start recording bands. Um, yeah. and what, what, what clicked? Like, what was that moment when, I don't know, the first time you, you know, recorded the drums of a band or you would, rec- what was the, like, Oh my God, this is awesome. Like, the, like you got to chill. Um, or maybe, or maybe that's just me when I have great experiences. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't, I, I think that, Hmm. Well, 
like you had to have been like, I want to do this. Like this, we have a studio. I can get the mics from here. I can go do this. I can figure this out. I mean, you were figuring it out, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I can't. I can think of moments when I had chills in the studio, but like later on, like I, I'm trying to think of like early on where I decided, oh yeah, this is what I want to do. I think it was. I, I don't know if I had such an experience. I think I just sort of um, uh, saw a need, like um, you know, like going back to with my first band, you know, going, looking in the phone book to record. I mean, that was ridiculous. You know, and where we ended up going was just some like studio where they, you know, the guys didn't know anything about what we were going for, you know, what kind of song bands we were into or anything like that. And the recording we got was completely different from, you know, what we wanted. And that kind of experience was like, God, you know, I would love to be able to do that myself someday you know and that that so the seeds planted at that point and then you know uh when i was in uh college or whatever um or maybe even before i don't know but like four tracks did the cassette four tracks did start becoming a thing and and of course i you know dreamed of having one and eventually did have one and then you know got to start putting it to use um and it just sort of evolved like that you know like just um being able to take advantage of like the next step in the evolution in technology or whatever and, and, and grab that and do that. And, you know, I'm in a band, so I, I get to like record our shitty practices and, you know, I don't know. It, it just sort of evolved. I think I, was there, um, when you, when you were recording back then, um, when, when did you, when did you think like, like a kind of going back to that, not like a moment of chills, but was there a moment when you're like, I can do this. I can record this and make it sound good. Like, did you feel like you had the knack for it? You know, no, I never felt like I had a knack for it. I always struggled with that. Like I felt like I had a, uh, a, 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 not a knack. Um, I was, I was, I guess, proficient enough to be able to do it, but I never felt like I was particularly good at it. it, it you know, um, so no, I never got chills like, oh, this sounds amazing. I'm really good at this <laughs> kind of thing. I, it was always like, ah, I, you know, my, my experience is always just like, oh, it, it's, I wish I could be better, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, ah, uh, drums, like, like I, like one of my, you know, biggest records not biggest, but you know, the, the Yank crime record is one of my albums. That's, you know, it's a big record for me. Um, it sounds terrible in my opinion. Like if I could, I wish I could redo it, you know, it's, it's so like, I know I've never, <laughs> never really, uh, had chills listening to my stuff. I, I, I think I don't listen to my stuff the way other people do. I just, all I hear are flaws and mistakes and, um, <laughs> I can't enjoy it. So you need a command Z button for your, for your records. Yeah. Or like a redo. Yeah. (laughs) No, I mean, I, I, like, I don't know if I would actually redo it. You know, I kind of sometimes fantasize about like, if I could do it now kind of thing, it would be probably a shitty record though, you know, because I would probably edit those drums and, you know, everything would be fixed and it it would, uh, all the life and everything that it has would probably be completely wiped away you mm-hmm. know is, um, is there a say, but. yeah is there a favorite sound 
on a record that you have like a sound meaning like for me i love when it when it sounds open when a record sounds open the drums are open the it ever is there a is there a, a is it a is it a guitar tone or anything that you get super jazzed on maybe that's just me again. um well no i i think i think that uh my my tastes have changed over the years for sure um the uh i do like and of course these these terms are are hard to pin down they're kind of subjective or whatever but i'll 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 try my best. Like I, I think open is a great quality in a record, in a recording. Um, in fact, like I would attribute sort of like Spiderland to being that sort of kind of sound. And that was the record that made me, if anything gave me chills and made me want to do this, it was, was Spiderland. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so early on, that was, that was the epitome. That was what I was going for. That was the goal. Like make it sound like Spiderland or at least that sort of vibe. I wanted drums to sound real and, you know, like roomy and just everything sounding as if it's a band in a room playing. Um, and I had varying levels of success in achieving that, but you know, I mean, that's always what I was going for in the early days. And then over time, I sort of like through pressure with, you know, recording tastes have changed, changed and, and bands wanting, you know, more, more compression and more of a compressed loud, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, that's kind of where my recordings went. Um, and, but personally, you know, I still prefer just like open natural sounding things. Cool. So I, I, I took a bunch from the list of folks you worked with and we don't we're, we're not going to go through all of them i promise you this is not the the mark Turbino uh podcast series um but mm-hmm. i would love to but i thought it'd be great to kind of mention some of the bands that people maybe know or don't know that are listening and um maybe a couple things about it um and a lot of these you know are from the same scene or sort of era and i think they're really you know interesting connections as i started writing them down and reading them it was interesting to see the the connections which is kind of it makes sense because hey you work with one band they tell someone else and then <laughs> go from there mm-hmm. um yeah got, totally. uh boilermaker boilermaker was one of my very uh first records and that one definitely had that sort of like um that sound i, I was going for that sound that they opened you know uh you know, no, it was done very fast. I think I did that record in probably four days or something, which was sort of par for the course back then. Um, and yeah, it was like three, maybe three days of recording and one day of mixing or something. And, um, but like, yeah, very little effects or anything. It was all about mic placement and, you know, just trying to capture the room and stuff. Um, I love that record. Um, the Scream Dracula Scream record from Rocket, um, that hit me over the head pretty bad in 95. Um, uh-huh. That one was a pretty badass record. Um, yeah. I got to work with John Reese with the Night Marchers project when I was at Vagrant. And what I loved about him, and it kind of relates to this, is just like his like attack of the guitar and like attacking what he was doing at the moment. like it just seemed mm-hmm. like so invested in what this was. And then he moved on to the next project. I mean, I just felt like it all, all just seemed everything was running at full speed when this record yeah. was coming out. Yeah. He, he like, uh, is a force for sure. Um, 
to this day, like definitely the, the, my favorite guitarist to ever work with. He, he's just amazing. I'm, I'm in awe of that guy. Uh, no knife. Um, that was a really, yeah, that was a fun one. Like I, I, I remember feeling pretty good about the recording of that one. Like it sounded pretty good. I was like kind of proud of that one. Um, again, like I was still back in the, you know, uh, more open, more like, you know, less processing kind of sound back then. Did you um, have a studio at that time or were you going to different places and they were bringing you in? I, I never had my own studio. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah. That was sort of my downfall really was that I never, I never invested in a studio. I, I, I was really fortunate early on, um, to, uh, well, Night's Old Man recorded at this place out in North San Diego County, uh, that it's turned out to be, or later became big fish. Um, but it was like a, a, a private studio, you know, on this guy's like lot or whatever, um, out in the kind of the middle of nowhere. And it was just sitting there empty when nice man went there. And then when Jehu was looking for a place to sort of wrap up yank, uh, yank crime, we remembered about it and ended up going there. And, that was, and that time it was me behind the board. Um, and I got to talking with the owner. I'm like, you know, there's nobody, you know, like, what if I started bringing bands here? I could, I could, I could bring bands, you know, like, and I talked him into like letting me start bringing bands there. And that basically became my de facto studio for a long time. So it was like big fish was kind of, I was the only one that was working there. Um, and that's what, yeah, I was really, really lucky because it was an amazing studio. It was an API console, you know, two-inch tape machine, like a really very woody-sounding uh, live room. Um, Did you try and, to record the tape as much as you could? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I only recorded the tape in the beginning. Um, like, Pro Tools didn't come along until, for me, until I think the first record I did that, in, that had Pro Tools was Clarity. Wow. Yeah, so everything was tape before that. And and then even after that it was like tape in addition to Pro Tools, you know. And then the um, learning curve was, of that. Yeah. And then I think the first like full Pro Tools records were like Finch and Starting Line and you know, kind of everything from that point on, I think. When I just sort of abandoned tape altogether. Uh, a couple others, or just a few more, the Mineral and Serenading record, which, you know, I think they, it's it's hard to kind of get them in the live scene, you know, on tape. And I think <clears throat> this one's the closest. Hmm. Um, that was another one that I was really proud of the sound. Um, it did have that sort of open, really nice drum sound that I, I was always striving for. Um, and... It was, it was, I think, a little bit longer of a project, um, which was kind of nice. Um, I remember having to, like, um, do it in phases. Uh, uh, I think Chris at one point didn't have, like, all the vocals ready, so we had to, like, take a little break and then come back and do, finish up vocals later. So um, that was a that was, it was definitely, like, awesome guys and a really positive experience for me. I really, I really enjoyed making that record that sound or that that time um was there anything that kind of stuck out from you know chris's delivery or the kind of the band 
Um, it was, I think, like, they were, like, sort of, like, the most of that style. <laughs> like, I guess you'd call it emo. Um, and for me, they were the most of emo band, like, that I'd worked with. And, like, lyrically, it was, like, the, the lyrics were so intense and, po- like, poetry. More like poems, like, kind of uh, sung over music or something, you know? Um, and it was, it was, new, it was a little new to me. Like the, the, like it didn't, it wasn't like traditional melodies and traditional like verse chorus kind of thing. Um, so it was, it was cool for me cause it was like, it pushed my, um, pushed my boundaries a little bit. Um, which I appreciated. Always, always liked getting, like doing things that made me a little like, uh, not uncomfortable, but like it was, they were new in some way. I want to talk about one of my favorite musicians of all time, Blair Sheehan and, you know, working mm-hmm. with knapsack and the jealous sound. And I, you know, loved, um, the knapsack, you know, stuff and the, you know, the jealous sound record that you did with better looking. Um, again, I know it's kind of the theme of it being like open, but I also thought the guitars and everything sounded so huge on it. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, that was that was like the first record that I felt like where I actually did like pre-production and tried to to be a quote-unquote producer. Interesting. Um, so what were yeah. you were you working with him? What was that relationship, you know, with the with the band when you kind of took that step? I'd never like rehearsed with a band prior to that. Like it would always it would always be like, "Oh, we're going to make a record." And then like, sometimes I would just be meeting the band for the first time, like day one of recording or something, you know? Um, and uh, it was more of a Albini type approach where I'm just there to sort of just, you know, capture what the band's doing or whatever, you know? And, and I'd still, I still have input and I would still be creative and stuff like that. But um, I, you know, with, with knapsack, I was able to like go into the rehearsal room with them and sort of like go over the songs and kind of put in some, my opinions before being in the studio. So like things like helping with arrangements, which, you know, by the time you're in the studio, sometimes it, you know, it could be a little too late at that point. I don't know. Um, so that was, that was fun. It was weird. Um, why was it weird? Uh, because it, it, it was for me, I mean, we don't really know each other that well, but like, I'm not, I'm not a very like uh I'm not a people person really. I'm not good with people really. And uh that role as producer, you know, it you have to be pretty good. You know, you've got to you got to be a cheerleader, you got to be an ego, you know, makes people feel good about what they're doing and um and uh it t- it it takes a lot of skills that I really don't have. So it was weird. Um it was good for me because it, it definitely pushed me to be a better human being in a lot of ways. Um, but it was, I was definitely, it felt out of my element during that recording, you know, like sitting there with, with Blair during the vocals. Um, it was rough because Blair is really hard on himself and I'm not, I'm not um, the kind of guy that's like, Oh dude, fucking sounds amazing. You know, like I'm not, I'm not an ego booster guy, you know, I'm like, yeah, 
yeah, we got to, this could be better. Let's do it again. Kind of thing. Like, and you know, it's probably not what you want to hear if you're already beating yourself up. Um, probably not the so, best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was hard. I think he probably had a really hard time. I had our time, but I mean, I think in the end we, we achieved something incredible, but it it was, it was, uh, it was tough. When, when, the, you know, things were sort of getting in the two thousands and it's, you know, the finches, the starting line, something corporate sugar cults, motion cities, that kind of stuff. Were you feeling more that producer where you wanted to help arrange or did you, did you take a backseat and not a backseat, but you didn't, you were more mixing and engineering. No, at, at, at that time, then I was like more comfortable in the whole producer chair kind of thing. Um, I'd already like, you know, made some records where I was doing that. And like, I was used to like being in the studio and, um, you know, at that point, like it seemed like a lot of shit changed. Um, I, I don't know at what point or what to pinpoint as, as being the change, but it like bands became a lot more, uh, how do you say like the bands were selling more records. At least the bands that I was working with were selling more records, but these are like indie bands. These are like small label bands, but they were selling a lot of records. They were more focused on selling records. They were more focused on, you know, like merch. And, um, it just seemed like there was more money in the scene at that point. There definitely was. Yeah. And, these these bands coming in and me joking about having merch for their practice show. Well, they already had it mm-hmm. designed, and he's got a computer, and here's the buttons, and we're gonna have this. Like it's like they kind of they they they. I guess high school added a uh, how to make money class that we must have missed out on. Yeah, well, definitely they definitely seemed way more professional. You know, it was like more of a business. You know, because and and I think you know they were able to actually make a living off of it. Um, so it was it was cool, but it it um, it definitely changed things, you know. So, but the the budgets got bigger, so what, you know we could we could afford to like do rehearsals, then do um, you know spend a decent amount of time recording. Oh, they would be doing demos before, which was something that like um, never I never had like bands doing demos and then sending it to me, and then then we go in and rehearse. You know, like there's so many more steps and parts to the, the whole thing of making a record at that point. Um, and then in addition to like the whole pro tools interjection into the process and what that brought, which was like being able to edit the shit out of things and fix everything. And, you know, like, uh, uh, just, it made making a record, you know, things took, took a lot longer and, uh, yeah, it really did. It was a pretty drastic change pretty quickly. Well, also another one I thought of, which um, I think kind of I always liked um, was Weston. Oh yeah. What was there anything you know with that one that made any uh, impression on you? I mean, that was again. I, I'll say that. I mean, that was their Mast Albert Sounds was sort of their 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 one to try. You know, let's just see if we can make this huge. Um, mm-hmm. and, and my kind of dividing line is 2001 bleed American. Like any, it's like pre bleed American post bleed American. <laughs> That's uh-huh. like the dividing line in, in some respects to 
that scene, but it seemed Weston in 2000, this was their swing. I don't, it's another one. Like I, them and, and, and Gartenberg is like, these are bands that were coming from out of town, which was, that was wild to me. You know, like it was one thing for me to record a Boilermaker or a No Knife in San Diego. They were San Diego bands that were friends. You know, they, there weren't a lot of options for places to go. So it just made sense. You know, you work with Mark cause you know, he's available, you know, he's done some cool stuff, but like, you know, for a band like Weston or garden variety to, to come all the way to San Diego to work with me, like that's like, Whoa, you know, that's so amazing and cool. Um, so I, I just remember it being like, such feeling so honored to that, that someone would want to like travel across the country to <laughs> to work with me. Um, and then I think you know this is obviously um, you know that you've worked a ton with Jimmy Eat World and we mentioned them a few times or whatever. But you know doing Static and Clarity and Bleed and definitely I want to bring up I mean a couple things like you know Clarity obviously the you know that that record that sound of that record. Um, you know, changed how I listened to music, changed what I liked, changed so many things about it. Um, were there things that you noticed as they were starting to knock out the songs? Did you kind of, did you sense like this is going to be something really different for them? Um, because obviously, I mean, they were a punk band. Static was pretty, pretty punky. Um, yeah. and then to come out with this, um, was, you know, definitely a different swing. I don't, I mean, I, I worked on static, so I was very familiar with, with what they were doing even before static. Yeah. Um, clarity didn't, you know, it, it is a big change, big departure. I didn't really maybe appreciate or get it at the time, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I was just too in the trenches. Like, um, I loved every single song on that record. I knew that, you know, so like we, you know, with, with static, uh, I didn't get to really be a part of the demoing process or the rehearsing. Um, I was having to co, you know, co-produce with somebody and, and co-produce meant I, I, I didn't, yeah, I, I wasn't able to, I wasn't part of that part of it. I was more of like the recording guy or whatever. Um, but so like the songs were picked, I, you know, I didn't have any say in any of that, but clarity, I got to actually work with the band and got to be a big, you know, or I, I got to be a part of that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, every single song on there was a song that I was passionate about and loved uh, completely. Um, we got to like, you know, rehearse them together and I got to put in my two cents and, um, it was so like, it, uh, it was definitely more my style of record than say static prevails was. Mm -hmm. Um, and so maybe I didn't notice that it, it was a huge departure. Maybe uh, I was just like happy that it was or something. Like I, I just, it just felt right, you know, cause it was like more something, a, a style that I was comfortable in. And you were, you know, again, you were talked about being the rehearsal, putting in those two cents. Was there, um, was there a song that stuck out or, you know, again, the, the, you know, the, the decision to have, you know, goodbye Sky Harbor go on that long, the, those that was there a, mm -hmm. was there a, was there a debate of what, what are we doing or this is crazy? <laughs> no, there was no like, like thinking that anything was crazy. Like it was just like, it was just an idea. Like goodbye Sky Harbor was just like, let's just 
you know, basically make that song the length of one reel of tape. That, that was the idea. That that was the um, uh, the extent of it, really. Like we didn't know exactly. Like we we kind of we were sitting at a at a restaurant in, in in Phoenix or whatever, having dinner during rehearsals or whatever, and the idea came up. I don't even know whose idea it was, and um, we just talked about yeah, we'll just like just play the end of that song over and over again for the for the the, the uh, until the tape runs out. Um, and we'll figure out what to do later. You know, like we'll, we'll make it interesting somehow later, you know, we'll figure that out when we're in the studio. And literally that's what happened. Like it was always, we were going to try and figure it out sooner, but we didn't, it was really literally, we didn't come up with a lot of that ending until we were mixing, um, the song, um, which was pretty pretty risky or whatever but yeah it worked out <laughs> i don't know if you know this but I'll, I'll i'll nerd out for five seconds the when there was the clarity 10 year was it 10 year was a 10 year tour they did the i forget everything's yeah everything's just molded together the I, know. I started a petition to have them play the full version of the goodbye sky harbor um uh-huh and th- this was one like live streaming was really budget and like wasn't that good but i guess someone had asked it to the band during a live stream and i think zach made a crack about it <laughs> like i heard there's some you know petition <laughs> uh-huh but i think that got him i don't know if it did maybe they were already planning it but they didn't do the you know the one they do on the usual tour they didn't do the five minute one they made it like 12 or something yeah so i felt like yeah i was like all right great now i feel a little like uh, I like did something for the scene because I wanted to hear that because that's everybody throws that on is like the you know driving record or you know they have it as like the it's like you know they love that it continues like that so I thought again well, it was that happy accident yeah I mean that's amazing and thank you for for making them do that like that because <laughs> like when I saw them uh, play it I was just like holy shit it's like I felt it like because every time they play it before that um, it's like a five you know, I was thing. heavily well, and not only that, but it was like, it was sort of the reverse of how we recorded it. So like, um, Oh, I see what you mean. They did. They flipped like the loud parts where the choruses and the verses were quiet or something like that. Like it was opposite of how we did it in the studio. And I was so heavily invested in the studio version that every time they play it live, I'd be like, you know, it's not as good or whatever, you know? (laughs) Um, so I was very, very, very stoked to hear the, uh, the, yeah, the ten year anniversary version. Yeah, um, and they fucking pulled it off. Like they I was totally so did. Like I was scared because yeah. it could, mm-hmm. like if, in a live setting with all the things happening and the drum beats and the the vocal lines that you know the Jim and mm-hmm. Tom were doing whatever it is. I was like, this could go really wrong. And yeah, I was I was I was definitely impressed. And um, I remember um, I remember yelling. I think it hit, I think they hit like twelve minutes or something, and I just yelled like four more. <laughs> Just to, just to, I was far enough back where they, I could just, I was just annoyed. But um, I thought it was again that beautiful. Um, I think another favorite of mine for me, this is heaven um, on that record mm-hmm. and the the the, mm-hmm. the piano. Um, oh yeah. How much? How much of the songs were done? Like when they came in. Um, like they were all demoed, um, and they. I think they were. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they were. Um, you you can hear it 
you can hear because they always they always release demo versions on on their yes. records, you know, like, and it's always so amazing to me how complete they are. You know, the, yes. like, the demo version sounds almost identical to the recorded version. You can just tell it's a little more demo-y or whatever. Um, and that's how it's always been. They are, and Jim's amazing. And he writes pretty fully fleshed out songs. You know, all I'm doing is maybe like extending something a little bit or, you know, I, I, I don't do a whole lot, you know. I thought um, for, the, for the Futures record, I loved both hearing both versions. And that double uh-huh. CD they put out, the demo versions and the, you know, hearing those differences of, oh, he kind of like extended that here, but tightened it up on the other one or took that out or added. It's just a, it's fun to go back and forth. Um, and I'm sure yeah. you in the studio making those decisions. Like, I, I guess mm-hmm. that's a, that's a big thing. I mean, I would be scared to do that, but you've been dealing with all these bands, but when is that in your mind when you're hearing something and maybe it could be any band doesn't have to be Jim or Jimmy world when you're hearing something and you hear the chorus two times or you hear that, like how, how do you get in a space to be able to say, Hey, like you put the, you know, you put the finger down on the, the monitor, you know, the thing so they can hear you in the studio <laughs> booth and say, Hey, what about, uh, you know, making that one or making that, what's that decision in your head? It's, it's just pure gut instinct. I think like, uh, like I, I, I always like wanted to, the song to like, it sounds lame, but you know, like there's a story to it or whatever. There's a, that's a, there's a, there's an arc and you kind of want it to feel, have that sort of satisfying, uh, progression. Um, and sometimes like, I feel like if you get to the chorus too quickly, it's, it, it doesn't, it's just not as satisfying as if you wait a little bit, you know, and it depends on the song and it depends on the verse and it depends on so many things, but like, um, sometimes it makes sense to get to the chorus quickly. Sometimes it, you want to wait. I don't know. Like, it's just gut. like, you know, you hear it and you're like, I, I just always could like, I'd listen to a demo and I would just sort of feel like, you know, there's something about this transition that doesn't sit right with me. What is it? You know, how, what what can we do to sort of, you know, make it better or or or, or something? You know, it's it's it, it was more like me listening to a song and just being like, oh, this thing bothers me. Um, how can we address it? That that's basically it. And that was my my what I did in the rehearsal room. It wasn't like, okay, kids, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna play this part two times. You're gonna do this. You're gonna do that. You know, like it was never that. It was like, um, okay, play the song. All right, now this part here, um, it just feels blah, or it's, it's, it does this or something, you know, like, can we fix it? And I, sometimes I'd have ideas, but a lot of times it would just be like, what, what can we do? You know, do you have any ideas? How can we fix it? So the, at least the changes that we were making were organic and that they were, you know, usually coming from the band and not from me. Um, it would just be like them fixing problems that I maybe had you know that that's basically it got it um a few more things on jimmy just because you'd worked for them for so long but i think bleed american like i said earlier you know sort of pre and post it was such a a monumental moment um and i remember that's i've told the story a couple times for the podcasters but um for you the i got handed that demo cd from an A&R guy at a label that i just started working for through a product manager that said oh i heard you like this band there's their, their new record or this is the demos. 
and I, you know, shit my pants. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember going down to the product manager, and he was like, Tom, what'd you think of the Jimmy? He's like, are they going to play Irving and sell 60,000? And I go, no, this is huge. <laughs> he doesn't sound like that, mm-hmm. but that's like the quote on label guy. You know, and he's like, yeah. he's like, uh, I was like, no, this thing is huge. There's this song and this song. And he's like, that's nice, Tom. You're going to go see him at Irving. And, uh, you know, but that, like, again, hearing those, working with those, um, I, I just think the it was crazy that that was sent everywhere. Yeah. The demos, you mean? Yeah. Well, we were trying, because like, the demos were sent everywhere because they were trying to get a deal. Like They were off capital at that point. So we, you know, like, we were basically making the record and shopping the record kind of at the same time, trying to get people interested because, you know, they were self-funding it. Um, and That's a big leap. I, Oh yeah. I mean, it, it was, yeah, they, 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 all they had to pay for was the studio time, which is not nothing, but, um, cause I, like I was doing it just free or whatever. Um, they, but yeah, I mean, we were trying to get a label interesting so that maybe we, we could, um, they could like take over the cost or something or, you know, help mix or something. Um, and also know that the record was going to have a home. You know, when we started it, it was literally like, well, you know, I don't know what we're going to do. Let's just make this record. Maybe we'll just put it out ourselves kind of thing. Like, okay, that sounds cool. But, you know, let's go ahead and try and shove it too. And so uh, that's what we did. My manager at the time was like helping shop it. Um, I think they were even in between managers too. They didn't, they didn't have management when we first started. Wow. Um, I think I think yeah. my CD has like a, a contact info on it, but I don't think it's. I have to look at it again. Who? But yeah, it was very interesting. Um, mm-hmm. But the that leap, I think that sometimes brings your best. Um, if you have those sort of moments where I don't know, you're you got ten minutes to study before the test, and you kind of try to cram, or you're whatever that s- stressful situation is, you're 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 taking a leap and you know, hoping. And I think it was an interesting where I think you'd rent, I think you'd said in another interview where it was, you know, you felt the most relaxed because there wasn't, you know, a label or you were kind of just doing it because you, you had these songs and you had to do it. Yeah. It was just, just the five of us, like making a record for no one, you know, hoping that it would, it would come out, but like really it was at the end of the day, just for us. Um, and so it was definitely my favorite recording experience just because there were so, it was way more closer to how I made records in the beginning than, than towards the end. Um, um, even though it took a lot longer and we put way more into it, um, it had the, it had that sort of like, this is just for us kind of vibe that, that I, I love, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, we made this record. If you like it, cool. If you don't, that's nice. Yeah. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Great. Come see us on tour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, always, I also think, too, that record is the reason they're still around. Um, you know, it lofted them to a different level, and they're able to play around the world and, you know, do these things. Um, and it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it, it was a, you know, perfect moment for a band, if someone loved them, to have that moment. Yeah. I, I Yeah, for sure. Um, it's, it's crazy the, the the career that they've had since 
and it, it couldn't have had, you know, like, I mean, they're the nicest, sweetest guys. So I'm so stoked for those guys. Yeah. And the last one too, you, you there was a skip, you know, chase a slight, they went with somebody else. You went, came, came back and did invented with them. You know, was there, was there, you know, a, was there a reconcile or they just wanted to go a different direction and then they wanted to work together? Was there, cause it's crazy. You'd done so much with them up to that point. Um, yeah, I mean, I actually started features. I didn't, I didn't finish features and all the recordings are not my recordings or whatever. Um, but half the songs I worked on. Um, but it was just probably a lot of bad timing. Um, you know, the pressure of, of bleed American of having another middle, you know, um, the difference between having, making a record with just five guys, you know, uh, by themselves versus now we've got a major label that wants a hit and we've got management that, you know, probably wants the same, but trying to be cool about it and not, uh, you know, come across that way, but secretly they want to fucking hit. Um, all of that like changed, like everything was different. Also rushing in the studio before, you know, being completely ready before having 12 amazing songs. Um, I was so stoked on half the record, half of the, you know, the basic songs that made it onto futures. I was super stoked on and like bummed on the other stuff that we didn't, you know, we never, you know, prior to when we made clarity, when we made lead American, I had a bunch of songs. We, they had a bunch of songs. We could choose the best songs and put them on the record. And futures was like, they had, literally 12 songs or something. And there was no, you know, like, I'm like, these songs are awesome. These songs are not awesome. But like, it's, it was like, well, you know, uh, just go in the studio. And this came from management. It came from the label, came from the band themselves. Like, just go in the studio and you know how Jim is. He'll just come up with a bunch of rad shit in the studio. It'll be fine. And so, you know, huge red flags now looking in hindsight, you know, like should not have gone in the studio until they had a, a complete record. But, you know, I kind of went along with the flow, didn't want them to go work with someone else. So, um, all right, let's do this. Well, it'll, I'm sure it'll be fine. Cause you know, there is precedent, you know, like the, the song we talked about, like, um, goodbye, Sky Harbor, it was all came together in the studio, you know, Jim wrote sweetness, during while we were making clarity, you know, it's all, it, it, it's all like, it made sense. I, it wasn't, didn't take a lot of convincing, but it was not the right, it was not the right thing to do in, in hindsight, you know, Jim needed a little time away from things to finish uh, the record. And instead of, you know, when we got to a point where it became really clear that there was, this was not a complete record, um, the, uh, yeah, that it basically, you know, like I, I, I became a, kind of a scapegoat in a way, like it was like, uh, well, we're going to go work with someone else. Like, <clears throat> and I get it. And I, I, you know, it was ultimately probably the right thing to do, but I think what really helped more than anything was not changing producer, but it was just going away 
and finishing the fucking record, you know, because the songs that they wrote are the best songs on that record. Like, and I, you know, I, to this day, still think Futures is the record I didn't work on. And I, it's my favorite Jimmy World record. And that bums me the fuck out. Cause like, I wish I had worked on it, but you know, good for them. And it, it is, it's an amazing record. And I'm fucking proud of them for, for making it. The, it's just interesting to hear, you know, like I said, from the two sides of that CD with the, the, um, demos or whatever, it's just, it's interesting to, you know, mm-hmm. like there's a, I always joke about this with friends and, um, like, Je- like Jen is like, I think that's like, I'm so glad that wasn't on the record. Um, well, Jen is, I don't know if you, that's the song that, that everybody was putting all their, like all the energy into making it another middle. Are you kidding? And it was like, yeah, like that, that is the song that basically killed, uh, future me and futures was, was like trying to make Jen the middle part two. Oh my God. Are you kidding? Uh, that can't, that, that it just didn't. Yeah. Oh wow. I it's just that. a chorus. It's a chorus. That's all it is. And they had they have so many versions of that song. They, even after I, even after they, uh, went to work with someone else, they kept working on that fucking song. Um, it's nuts. So much pressure. The, the amount of pressure that Jim must've been under is like, I can't even imagine it. I can't, I can't, I can't put myself in, in that situation. It, it must've been so intense. Um, cause so you, you're, you, you, him. yeah, you're trying to follow up a record that is just, it's still played on the radio. K rock's probably playing it right now. If you turn on K rock, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Wow. So again, I mean, you know, you did get work back with them again with Invented. Um, did that feel, you know, was it a nice, not nice, I didn't mean that, meaning like getting it back, did it feel comfortable again? Um, it didn't feel comfortable because things, uh, you know, uh, you know, I love those guys and, and they're like family, extended family in, in, in a lot of ways, but I wouldn't say after, after all that, it was comfortable. No, but it was great. Um, when I came to work for invented, like the songs were basically, you know, they they have their own studio. Now they record in their studio. Um, it was more like, Hey, we've got these songs. Do you want to like help us finish them kind of thing? So, you know, I did what I could. Um, I didn't record anything. I just kind of like, added a little polish or something to them. Like they gave me, um, that the song that they had, I think recorded for chase of Light, which was, um, theory, my best theory. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, which ended up being the same. And yeah. And they gave it to me. It was like a completely different arrangement or everything. They're like, we, we think the song has something, but you know, we can't make it work. Do you want to try? You know? So I, I took it and I just edited it and kind of rearranged it. You know, I think just using a, two track or something like I, I don't think I had uh, stems or anything um, but they liked it and uh, that got me back into like working on with them again um, but it was it was cool it was you know it was not like making clarity at, at all in any in any in any way but um, still it was great to be working with them again that's the thing I feel you e- it's like you fly under the radar 
and you can do what you want and you can make records and there are good ones and bad ones and good songs, bad songs. But it's like you get a hit like that each time it's like there's that pressure mm-hmm. from the label. I've I work I've worked in music for a very long time and you know, you're in those meetings and the radio guys and if the radio doesn't hit, then you don't make the video and then the, the sales guys get scared. Yeah. It's like there's this tumbling ball and yep. it's just I mean it's I'm sure you've had that with a lot of bands where it's like there's this one song you know you have to get right, and if it doesn't, yes, there's still going to be touring. Yes, there'll still be band or they'll still be doing things, but there's those it's pressures from people outside. I've I've never yeah. you know I've never felt that. I mean I've been at the label side, but I've never been on the band side feeling that. It's it's not good. I don't think it's I don't think it's constructive. Like I mean, Jen's a really good example of like how that pressure can really fuck shit up, you know? Um, and it, it was so, they were so wrong, but they were so certain that they were right. What goes through your mind um, when a band says, you know, I don't like the mixes? You know, do you, are there questions that you ask them again? Or is this something you do before? Um, do you have an idea when you get the song and you know the band or you know maybe you didn't record it but you got them to mix? Like, What are some of those questions that you ask the band to kind of know where to go? Or do you know? I don't know, but I figure that anybody, anybody who's coming to me to mix a record has an idea of what it's going to sound like. Um, at least that's what I'm banking on. Like, I'm just going to do what I do, make it sound the way that I think it should sound, and and hopefully that whoever's hired me has like done their homework and knows kind of what I do. Um, there's been times when like, um, uh, well, like, uh, the wonder years record I mixed, um, that record, they came back saying that, and I'm so thankful for them for coming back and saying, you know, we kind of don't, this is not the kind of sound we want, you know, can you do this? And, uh, you know, I, I, I did my thing at this, at that stage of my career. I was like, okay, I really like samples. going to put some samples down, going to, you know, do all this, do all the tricks that everybody does. Cause that's what people want. And they were like, no, we don't want samples. And, and I decided to start completely over again. And I'm so glad because it's so much better. They were right. And so, um, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I would just do what I do. Um, and if someone doesn't, isn't happy with it, like they're right. You know, I, I, I learned, I've learned that a number of times, like I could fight something, but it, the band's always right. Well, I shouldn't say always, but you know, I like what, one thing that I always remember is like, you, you mentioned for me, this is heaven, Jimmy world. And to be honest, like I wasn't that into that song when we were recording it, it was always sort of like, eh, I don't get it. Band really loves it. To me, it just seemed like a kind of a filler throwaway song or whatever. <laughs> um, but when it was done, my favorite song on the record. And I'm like, and I can always, and I just remember like, I don't know everything. <laughs> I don't know necessarily I'm not necessarily always hearing what the band's hearing, you know? And I always, I always think back to that. Like whenever I have some sort of a, uh, 
discrepancy or whatever, like I'm not a fight or quarrel, or whatever with a band or a difference of opinion. And I remember for me to seven and be like, you know what? They're probably right. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll, I'll put in my two cents, but at the end of the day, it's their album and their, their song or whatever. And their, their thing and, uh, their vision, not mine. They're right. So, yeah. That's interesting. I mean, again, with Wonder Years coming back to you and you looking at it from their shoes or looking at it from that other way, and and it's that relationship that you have with that band where they're comfortable enough to come to you and you're comfortable enough to admit, yeah, let me go change that. That's almost like mm-hmm. that's that that's the crux of it, right? You got they have to be if if they're not going to say anything and be like, well, Mark mixed it. It's probably what he wants instead of actually coming back. Um, it's like a back well, and, and forth. also like. It maybe have a lot to do with what they said too, because like I'm not going to argue with anybody that samples using samples is a better thing, <laughs> I, like on drums. You know, so like they were saying the right thing, like we don't want samples. I don't want samples either. You know, like I that's I'm not into it. I just do it because that's what that's the way people want things to sound. You know, or the way people like things to sound. Um, so they said the right thing, and I was like, yeah. Okay. I mean, I was like, shit, no, I got to start over, but <laughs> I, I, I couldn't argue with him. Um, so yeah. I forgot to mention blink, which is obviously a huge thing. And, and they came because of Jimmy, right? They came to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Of course they're fans well, of Jimmy. They, yeah. They, they didn't, they, they, didn't really come to me necessarily, or at least not at first. They came to the studio that I was working at, um, Big Fish. <clears throat> and I was working with a band called Fluff, and they came in to tour the studio. And they'd, they'd already done Cheshire Cat. They'd sold, like, whatever, 70,000 records, which was unbelievable, like, huge. That's huge. You know? <laughs> That's huge. And, and they come touring through, and I'm like, and they, they brought their producer that they were going to work with to, to check out the studio. And, and just knowing that they were a San Diego band and on cargo, essentially, you know, like it seemed like even though they were from a scene, not the same scene necessarily, they still felt like, like, like something that I should be doing. <laughs> and I'm like, I want to work with those guys. And so I was, you know, I, I, had O from Fluff, like, you know, introduce us or whatever, or tell him that I wanted to work with him or whatever. I don't know. He's, he knows everybody. So he, he let him know. And they, like, they found out, you know, of course that I, I did work with Jimmy world that then they wanted to work with me. And it was amazing. Changed my, my life, you know, in a lot of ways. You know? Yeah. That record, you know, again, we talked to earlier about, you know, your own yank crime being ch- uh, passed around dude ranch was it <laughs> that's funny for a lot of punk kids that's the first one you got mm-hmm. you got the green day you got yeah. blink you got no effects you started digging a little deeper um yeah any other fun stuff from that recording or was there that moment where you had to re- you know remember um that i'm not always right or were you still pretty bullish then i'm just joking um <laughs> it was another one like that was still really early early on for me so yeah they wanted to do pre-production they wanted me to come in and, and do, do rehearse with them and stuff like that. And I think maybe I'd done knapsack at that point and maybe, 
you know, I hadn't, I didn't do static prevails. So like rehearsal anyway. Um, so I still wasn't that comfortable with that whole process. Um, I remember going into rehearsals with them being, you know, really scared and nervous and like intimidated. Like these guys had sold more records than all my records combined, you know, (laughs) and I'm going in there telling them like, you know, going to tell them how to write a song or something like no way. (laughs) Um, so I, I just like listened to, um, they had an idea of what the the singles would be. So we, we basically just kind of worked on them. Um, and that was it. It was, it was pretty quick. Did they have the songs Um, pretty much done? I think so. I don't remember. I don't think I did much, if anything, really. Um, I mean, those guys definitely know how to write a song. So like they, they were, they were done. Um, I think if anything, I just helped embellish things. I, I can see you at the studio door. Like, do I open it? Do I go out there? I'm like, uh-huh. I, like, you know, like in that moment where you're like, yeah. do I tell, like that you're, it, I it's totally not too late to back out. <laughs> 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 Guys, I got something else in uh, Temecula mm-hmm. to get to. Uh, we're going to, yeah. we're going to, we're going to skip this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, cool. The, you've, uh, you've graciously let me talk about Jimmy Eat World for 30 minutes, which my girlfriend doesn't. So thank you. Um, <laughs> I want to talk about the donuts because this was, you know, I, obviously it's what you're doing now. And I think a great thing. And, um, uh, obviously some of these things you've kind of said, but I think a lot of people maybe don't know. Um, so, and, you know, uh, quickly or however you want, uh, this is a podcast. It's not like we're timed, but the mm-hmm. idea from it, I had kind of read, you know, your sort of tenacity to or meticulousness of starting this is you did a shitload of research, which I think, you know, is pretty rare. I don't, I actually, I don't think I did. I think I kind of just jumped into it like without doing all the research. I, I thought someone had, someone had told me and <laughs> I will, I will uh, make them um, buy me dinner next time. Cause they're wrong, but I had read or someone uh, had told me that you had sort of, gone and went to different places to kind of see what they were doing and think about oh, other ways. I ate a lot of donuts. Yeah, I, I did do that. I did go around and <laughs> eat donuts. Um, that's, that's, the, that's the research. meticulous research, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I basically got to a point making records where I, I never had a, my own studio. So I was sort of um, at a, disadvantage with people who did like as far as like being able to afford to make records um you know records at that point were taking so long to make if you didn't have your own studio it's like it it was all it was really difficult to make a record um so i got to the point where i was like i either gotta build a studio and really commit really really commit to this music thing or um try this other thing that this idea that i've had um, cause I'd been talking about making it, opening a donut shop for a long time. And I decided like, fuck it. I'm going to, I'm going to just give this donut shop thing a, a, a go for a while and just see what happens. I didn't expect it to actually survive or do well. Um, I, I fully expected to be back making records at some point. Um, but yeah, so I, I decided to do it and like, I started doing it without, having, you know, I didn't know how to make donuts. Um, 
I'd like tried making donuts at home, but they were like shitty. And up until like, I went through the whole process of like designing the space and building the space, you know, acquiring the space, all the equipment and places like completely ready to go. And I still didn't know how to make donuts. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, I thought I did. I, at that point I thought, you know, I got a pretty good idea. Were you trying every um, night? Were you like testing stuff out or? Yeah. And I, it would be like, these suck. But when I have a, my own kitchen, like a real professional kitchen, they're going to be magically better. Um, <laughs> and it turned out not to be the case. Um, so I, I get into the kitchen and, um, things were a lot easier, like having that real equipment and stuff. But, um, I basically started over at that point and that's when I got really meticulous. Um, and you know, spent months like we, I had a, I had a ready to go restaurant, but I spent months just like, um, tweaking it, like, like figuring out how to do it. And eventually I had to just say, you know, enough, we got to open. So like we opened before I was even done, like with that whole process. And I just kept going even after we'd opened, tweaking and tweaking and tweaking. And I think I came a week earlier. I think I came a week before you opened too, by accident. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't. I think I'd like yeah. messed up the opening and like drove by. And I'm like, I think, I mean, I already took an hour and a half to get out there from Santa Monica. So the passenger with me was not happy. And we look and it's just <laughs> like, I think I even called or something and it was like, we're open on the eighth. And I'm like, shit, it's the first or whatever it was. Uh, <laughs> it was really funny, but you uh, weren't yeah, ready. We, I was ready. You weren't we ready were, yet. Yeah, we weren't ready, but like people were ready. Like, you know, I was really lucky that there was like kind of a buzz about it. Um, even before we opened, you know, having those sort of music connections to it or having the, you know, the, 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 the pun, gets in that band's audience. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You mean you had me pegged. You had, you know, right to sprinkles, <laughs> the jelly sound. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was like, Oh, you got me. Um, but it was that, <laughs> you know, with the, if it's the jawbreakers or whoever, Fudgazi, whatever the one you had, it brought in a different audience, which was yeah, what you want when you release a record. You want your, you know, your friend that's maybe a sports fan, you get him into it or whatever the connections are that seemed to, uh, it was, did you know that that was going to happen or did you feel like there was going to be backlash or Blake Schwarzenbach was going to come after you? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think it was, uh, I was really nervous about it. Like, cause it, it was kind of gimmicky and, and cheesy. Um, but I, I wanted to have names for the donuts. Like I, I didn't want to be, have pretentious sounding names for donuts. Like, you know, lavender like like with all the like ingredients listed like you know muddled this and all this like fucking foodie things um so i I just wanted i wanted there to be names and it just made sense it was fun you know a friend and i like we we sat at a bar one night just came up with a bunch of them and that's what kind of started it um and at first i was like this is so stupid like i could never do this but then after a while i was like uh, yeah, I kind of got to do this. This kind of, this is me. It's like bringing, you know, it's, I'm bringing my music with me into this new thing. It, it's made a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, was there any backlash from anybody? Like, I, I, I think, you know, Blake Schwarzenbach, did he, you know, drop by and say, this is crazy. Has he even been by? If he's been no, by, I'm, I'd be so mad. No, no. I'm just saying I, like, if he, 
Um, <laughs> like I, there was a, a a medium article that I posted with a bunch of friends, and it was like, should Jawbreaker reunite or not? And it was all anonymous people saying if they should or not. He read it and like went off on my Facebook page, um, which I was like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> I will take um, that as a point. But I'm saying, was there any like backlash or was it all positive? Like from bands? No, I don't, I don't think anybody's been bummed. I think people are pretty kind of stoked to have a donut named after them. Like even like I was like shitting myself when Ian McKay came, came in. Are you shitting um, me? He came into the store. He's been in a couple of times. That's now. amazing. He comes, out, he comes out to, for Coachella um, and so like Donut Friend, the, the, our first year in existence, we actually went and did Coachella and I'd heard that he was there and I'm like, Oh my God, what if he came by? He's going <laughs> to see like, <Fletch> Gazi. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was bad. But then the week in between, cause it happens two weekends. Um, he stopped by, he came to actual Donut, Donut Friend proper with his, his, uh, wife and kid. And like, I was just like, Oh, oh my God. Like, I've got a Fudge Gazi donut. I've got a Rice of Sprinkles donut. I've got a Rice of Sprinkles T-shirt on the wall. Like he's gonna, he's gonna murder me. Um, and but you know he's the sweetest guy, and like he was just so gracious about it and awesome. And actually, you know, let me know that he he doesn't like fancy donuts, but you know <laughs> his kid really does, his wife does, uh, and. So it was it was amazing and positive, and there's no backlash, at least not to my face. Of course, Ian's going to be the coolest fucking dude. He's the coolest <laughs> fucking dude. Being able to do events, you know, you guys, I think you guys have like a smorgasburg, like a Brooklyn that you have one in LA, and doing that, and you know, are there other yeah. are there other partnerships that you guys are thinking about, or things that you want to do in the future? No, like I mean, we we we'll do FYF, we'll do. We did that Coachella. Uh, um, I like. We've done some other music things, or whatever. We we tip. We like. We'll do like. Uh, you know, ticket giveaways and and fun promotional things with bands and, and shows and stuff. Um, I've talked about and would love to do like a Donut Front Presents sort of like night um, at the Hi Hat or some sort of club, some club in town. The Hi Hat's just down the street, so that would be nice. Um, and have like, shows, a show, yeah, yeah. Have 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 a donut friend show. Like, um, I want to do not a show show, like um, kind of more of a review or something. Like, like really short sets and um, shared equipment, and you know, play four songs and then get off the stage, kind of thing. Um, I think it'd be a lot of fun. So that, that I'd love to do that sometime. But other than that. It's a, it's a handful just to just run in the donut shop. Yeah. Have you, have you retired donuts? Retired donuts? Yes. Yes. Yeah. We've retired a, a bunch. Um, we could still make all, everything that we've retired. I think for the, for the most part, we can still make them. We just. Exactly. Uh, That's it, Mark. That's the whole thing. It's that, yes, you think they're like old, but you, you, they can still get it out there. They, they, they can still go. <laughs> They're just, you know, uh-huh. they're, they're just not full time. That's it. You call them part time or uh, what, hiatus donuts. They're on hiatus. You can order them. They might get back together if you pay me money, but oh. they're on hiatus. Yeah. 
put dry like jelly on there. Yeah. Yeah, I think they're, they're they're just on hiatus. We're just we're mm-hmm. just not. I don't know. The blueberries didn't work with the uh, strawberry on this one, and we're just not really feeling it. You know, like the ingredients <laughs> of the donuts are like the band members. Yeah, yeah. Mark's like, when is this over? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> are there anything else you guys have other than running it? Is it like franchising? Is it doing another one on the west side, or is it like no way in hell? No, I want to. Like, I I don't. I, I I never really wanted to have just like to own a donut shop. I, I wanted to sort of like build a whole brand. So for me, it's, I've been trying, I'm just a little too focused on, on locations. Like I want very particular spaces and I'm not willing to compromise. So like I've been negotiating with this one space for over a year now. Oh, wow. And, and, you know, I think it's, it's great. I'm surprised that no one else has taken it. Um, and I just, I can't wait. And, you know, and I, I'm really close to, to, to getting a lease on it. So um, hopefully soon I'll, I'll actually get to start working on a second location. West side, west um, side? Downtown. Oh, nice. Yeah. And then, and then after that, like, I think once I get a second one under my belt, having a third and fourth or whatever, I think will be a lot easier. But the second, the second one, like, I was able to make the first one happen all by myself. I just did it. You know, I didn't know what I was doing. I just started just making it happen. The second one seems a lot harder for some reason. I think not, I think knowing more sometimes is a kind of a hindrance or whatever. Um, and, and also just being, you know, knowing more about what I want means I'm more particular about what I'm looking for in a space and stuff, what I need, um, what I'm trying to avoid because I, you know, you've seen didn't mistakes. Know anything about when I got the first time. Yeah. 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 What about working um, with staff? How has that been? Tough. Cause you um, were kind of on your own making these records, Mark, you know, you got the studio. Exactly. You, now you got, you yeah. got little rugrats to deal with. Exactly. Like <laughs> that, like I think I mentioned earlier, how not a people person I am. It's not easy for me. I've always like worked by myself just being a band. I didn't you know very rarely, hired, you know, a drum tuner or, you know, someone to edit drum. I never hired anybody to edit. Well, no, occasionally I would hire someone to edit drums, but like I, you know, I kind of tried to do everything myself, just total control freak. Um, so like having a staff is, that's new for me, managing people and communicating and all that stuff, like very hard for me, but like, like it was with doing pre-production with Blair. Like it's pushing me to be a better person. <laughs> um, so it's all good. And I guess, you know, finally, what, what else, what else do you want to do? Is there anything that's like, you know, you got it on your list or you got it in your mind and you're dreaming about it. Um, it could be donuts. It could be music. The, you know, I mean, I was, I was lucky that like the last couple of years I got to, play music again, you know, and do all those Jehu shows. Um, that was like, uh, I, you know, I never thought that would happen again. And if you'd asked me, you know, three years ago, if there's anything I wanted to do, I would have said probably I would love to do shows again, to play drums again. Um, so that's done. <laughs> um, so now, now with that out of the way, I don't know what else. Like, I just kind of want to, I, I think I'd like to do a record again. I'd like to get Donut Friend to a place where I have the time to make a record. 
It'd be fun. Yourself or or with with another band? Oh, with a band, not me. Not not a yeah. Like you record a record, produce a record or whatever. Have you been Um, keeping up on any of the newer sort of punk independent stuff that's been coming out? I'd like to think so, but you know, you're probably going to rifle off a bunch of bands I've never heard of. So, uh, been, I will say you've been dealing with dough. not <laughs> what's that you've been dealing with dough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mike, you know, when I listen to like donor friend has pretty particular playlists that goes on. So that, that's pretty much all I listen to. It's all like, you know, emo <laughs> all the time. Um, New, not not so much newer stuff. Is that what um? Is that what do people expect that when they walk in? Probably. Yeah. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> so make a record with someone. Open up a second location, and do some uh, donut friend presents. I love that plan. Yeah. All right. We'll we'll check yeah. back in a year and we'll see how you do. I'm just kidding. That's okay. <laughs> All right, man. Good luck making donuts. Uh, Thank you. Talk to you soon. (laughs) All right. Thanks, Mark. Bye. Bye. Washed up emo fans, thank you for listening to this podcast over the last nine plus years. Or if it's your first time, welcome. It has flown by, and I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. And for this current episode you're about to hear, I do have a favor of you. I have some books out right now called Anthology of Emo, and Volume 2 was released last fall. I really think you'll dig it if you haven't heard of them. It features guests from the podcast, including Jim Atkins from Jimmy World, Chris Conley from Saves the Day, Travis Shettle from Piebald, and John Bunch from Sensefield. I've also reprinted volume one so you can order both check out the diy publishing at anthologyofemo.com